The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 175 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is empowered family caregivers working with family physicians. Family caregiving is attracting increasing recognition, respect and resources that still has ways to go before it's fully empowered. The increasing attention you can see and hear in the shift in names used by healthcare's officialdom and bureaucrats. Previously, it was informal caregiver or simply caregiver. Now, it's family caregiver. The Canadian Census of Population counted 9.4 million families in 2011. Um, the statistics show that of these families, over 40%, 40% are likely to be involved with caring in some way for family members with uh, an incurable mental illness. They are family caregivers. In the USA in 2009, 66 million Americans or 29% of the adult US population involving 31% of all U.S. households served as family caregivers for an ill or disabled relative. So family caregiving is an important support not only for family members, but also for healthcare systems in North America, which is why our topic today, empowered family caregivers working with family physicians, is so important. And to discuss it, uh, my guest is Dr. Anna Reed. Anna is president of the Canadian Medical Association for 2012-2013. She received her medical degree in 1986 from the University of Ottawa. She completed her family practice residency in 1988 through the University of British Columbia. She completed further critical care and trauma training in 2000. She was a rural and community family practice locum for, from 1988 to 1995 in the Northwest Territories and British Columbia. From 1995 to 2000, she worked in comprehensive family practice in Nelson, British Columbia, where she especially enjoyed palliative care and geriatric work. In Nelson, between 2001 and 2008, she was an emergency and intensive care physician at Kootenay Lake Hospital. 
Then in 2008, she joined Stanton Territorial Hospital in Yellowknife, also in the Northwest Territories, where she practices emergency medicine and hospitalist work. Um, Anna is deeply concerned about the homeless, the mentally ill and the addicted patients who face inequities in access to care. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you very much, Gordon. Thanks for having me on today. Great. Now, let's get started straight away, please, with the first question to you. Please tell us more about your career and the path that led to your being acclaimed as the president of the Canadian Medical Association. Well, it wasn't a clear path at all, Gordon. I um, I got involved uh, very early on uh, with the rural family practice, and and I like doing rural family practice because it allowed me to um, really do all sorts of medical care. And you know, I was involved in cradle to grave medicine, as we would say, and doing a lot of um, obstetrics right through to home visits, palliative care, and nursing home work. And during that time, I became very interested in. Um, systems issues which actually impede our ability to provide patient-centered care rather than provider and institution-centered care. And a lot of these issues are around proper system planning, resource allocation, and really not enough support for healthcare providers and families. And I think my interest in wanting things to work better and my frustration with a lot of the system led to some medical leadership roles at our hospital in Nelson, British Columbia, and I was a chief of staff, which was an administrative job for some time. Um, I went uh, up to the Northwest Territories in 2008, and what actually took me there was an ability, um, just because of the um, climate up there, to not not the the, the um, meteorological climate, but the working climate. So it's, uh, I could actually work uh, with health authorities and government really collectively um, to uh, get involved with systems improvement, and it's a real team effort up there. And um, so we're looking at uh, big systems uh, delivery issues there, large geographic areas, a lot of transport issues with very limited uh, community resources. And basically, we're doing a lot of work at how we can take care of patients rather than always have patients come to us as physicians and less reliance on the hospital and more um, primary care and community-based care. And next thing you know, because I was a squeaky wheel, I became president of the Northwest Territories Medical Association the CMA presidency actually rotates around the country um, from province to province, and this is the first time we've ever had a president from the Northwest Territories. And um, um, the chance came up last year. I put my name forward and luckily was uh, elected by my colleagues in the contest. So, so here I am uh, uh, for the year in Ottawa doing advocacy work. Now, that leads me into my next question. In effect, please tell us about the, your job as the association's president. What do you actually do? Well, um, our, this, the Canadian Medical Association actually has 78,000 physician and uh, student physician members, and I am the uh, official spokesperson for that organization. Um, our policies that the, physician, uh, that the organization has are actually member-generated, and we have an annual general council um, held um, 
Um, this year we had it in Yellowknife. And it's, essentially that's our Parliament of Medicine where we actually have resolutions come forward that are voted on and and uh, resolutions that pass are then taken forward into policy uh, development. And uh, my, my job is to represent all of our members. I can't put my slant on it. I'm very interested in um, issues such as elder care and home care and that we don't have any good plan around the country for that. And I've been very interested in what we're calling the social determinants of health, which is basically health care for marginalized populations. Main part of my role, Gordon, is actually advocacy work, um, mainly at the federal level. Um, we're doing a lot of work advocating for a national vision for health care, even though the federal government certainly believes that that's purely the mandate of the provinces and territories. But we, um, I do meet with uh, ministers, government ministers, including the federal health minister. I've uh, done a, a quite a few presentations to parliamentary and senate committees on health, on matters we feel are of important to, to transform our healthcare system. Um, but we're a nonpartisan organization. We'll meet with any political party who will talk to us. Um, a lot of our advocacy is also done through our provincial and territorial medical associations um, regarding supporting systems change at the local level where the actual changes uh, will roll out. The other part of my job is a huge amount of um, stakeholder um, outreach. So um, I meet with a lot of both medical stakeholder groups as well as non-medical uh, stakeholder groups and um, spent quite a bit of time this fall um, doing outreach to patient groups and uh, general Canadians. Um, so that's uh, the big part of my advocacy work. What we're trying to do is actually get out and really listen to what patients and patient groups want to tell us at the CMA so we can figure out what the patient voice is that we need to take forward in our advocacy work. Um, a big part of my work is also um, uh, going on the media like I am today uh, uh, and, uh, um, you know, talking about the issues that we feel are important and trying to uh, push our agenda forward that way. Right. Now, I want to take you back, um, in a way, to your role as a family physician. Please tell us a little bit more about what you actually did as a family physician and how that interacted with family caregiving. And then mention a little bit about the role of family physicians generally as it relates to family caregiving. Okay, well, I was uh, in my f uh, family practice days. Um, I was um, a rural family physician the whole time, and I worked in a very small town in rural British Columbia, which was a long way from any kind of um, tertiary care hospital. So um, the family physicians in those areas uh, had to be very self-sufficient. We were also very poorly resourced in terms of uh, having things such as um, home care. A lot of our patients lived, you know, at least an hour away in a rural area from, from the town. Um, and my practice was uh, largely centered on geriatrics and palliative care, which is my big interest area. So as a family physician, I, uh, and also mental health actually was my other interest area. So as a family physician, I actually spent a lot of time, um, you know, doing health calls um, as well as nursing home work. And um, through that, I really developed, uh, a, I think, a bit of a sense of the toll that care 
caregiving actually actually takes on the family members, uh, as well as actually actually the patients themselves who don't want to be a burden but feel that the family's uh, needing to take care of them. And I developed uh, um, a big um, belief in the fact that it's really important that you often take the care to where the patient is rather than make the patient come into your office. You learn a whole bunch more that way in a house call. You learn more about a situation in a few minutes than you can in hours at a in an office situation. But what really struck me and, and what started to get me interested in this uh, medical advocacy work is that the huge lack of resources for home care, long-term care in this country, and there was nothing really coordinated, and really the care you receive depends a lot on your, your postal code. Um, so that, you know, got me thinking about, you know, needing sort of more of a national strategy for these for these things. With respect to family physicians sort of connecting with um, family caregivers, um, you know, the, we would be unable as healthcare providers to do our job without the, the massive input of family caregivers, and you certainly see those patients who do not actually have any family support. We know um, that their health outcomes are much worse than those who have family support helping to look after them. Anna, I'm going to stop you there because of the tyranny of time. Uh, it is time we, we have to take the break to pay the rent, but we're coming back to those points. So this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Dr. Anna Reid. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and also CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. 
Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Anna Reed. Our topic is Empowered Family Caregivers Working with Family Physicians. Uh, Anna, now let's talk about the medical conditions that require particularly close communications between family physicians and family caregivers, and also the ways in which family physicians as a profession view family caregiving. Anna, so the first question is, what are the serious medical conditions of family members that most commonly cause their family caregivers to communicate really closely with family physicians, and what generally are these communications about? Well, Gordon, I think probably, um, you know, we're talking more about chronic uh, diseases here and or people who have uh, possibly physical or, or mental um, um, disabilities. But I would say uh, with our aging population, the huge, hugest burden right now on family caregivers is the burden of dementia. And, um, you know, um, unfortunately, a lot of the case times with dementia, we the, the actual caregivers may themselves be very elderly and in poor health, the spouse of a, a demented individual. So I think dementia is the number one uh, thing that we're facing in this country that we do not have a good strategy for. There's all the other kind of chronic diseases, such as uh, people... Um, possibly with end-stage congestive heart failure, diabetes, um, these patients who actually um, um, need chronic management of conditions, but maybe for various reasons, mobility reasons, um, uh, age reasons, they're not able really to look after um, a lot of the things they need to do, take their pills properly, check their blood sugars, um, you know, possibly dress leg ulcers, that sort of thing. And often the family's very involved in that. There's, of course, um, you know, palliative care patients um, uh, from cancer, HIV, um, hepatitis, these issues, which um, frequently the patients and families wish uh, uh, them to remain at home, but uh, takes a huge amount of family caregiving. And the other one, which you've already um, mentioned in your introduction, is the huge burden in this country of um, um, chronically mentally ill patients, um, in particular patients with um, with a chronic psychotic illness such as schizophrenia, but also people who struggle with um, with um, um, severe incalcitrant depression, and these uh, take a huge toll on the family. I think there's a, a lot of need for um, uh, communication between f- uh, family physicians and family caregivers um, uh, in this area, and really the family is um, just a massive asset for the patient and the healthcare provider. The family is the eyes and ears on the ground, if you like. The family understands the patient better than anyone else do, and, and often the family is the one that is able to articulate and be the voice for the patient, often um, you know, the, the patient is unable to do that for themselves. I think, in, you know, in some cases, um, there's been really a lack of understanding on the part of family physicians of the huge toll uh, that uh, being in this role can um, uh, take on families, uh, as well as the huge joy it can bring to families. 
And, uh, you know, I don't think uh, when I went through medical training, no one ever talked to me about these sort of things. It was only through my years of sort of doing house calls and getting to know my um, elderly patients and their entire families in my family practice that I really had a sense of of the importance of the family unit in terms of looking after these patients. So um, I think that we need to do more education about family caregiving. I think we're starting to understand it. Um, I don't think most family physicians really understand how much the families actually do, though, for their family members. I think there's absolutely no... Um, you know, no real recognition or understanding of the huge amount of time that families spend uh, doing this medical care. Right. Now, I'm just going to uh, sort of take us into the next question, which flows perfectly from what you've just been saying. Just to ask you, how generally do family caregivers view, fam- sorry, family physicians view family caregivers? What I'm asking is, if you take a, a, a population of family doctors, what's the sort of broad view they would be of family caregivers? And what's, if you ask your colleagues in family practice, well, what do you encourage by way of a role for family caregivers? What are they likely to say? And then, do they have concerns about anything that they might get involved with in, in their work with family caregivers? And if so, what are they? Big question, but it's an, an important topic. Anna? So, you know, um, just to start off, Gordon, um, I think that sometimes, uh, you know, when we've just come through medical training, and, and things may have changed because I'm sort of in my mid-50s now, but um, I don't think there was... Um, Really, and uh, again, I don't think we were well trained to actually listen to families. I think there was a sense that physicians know best, and when the family tells us something, it's just, oh, well, it's just a family. Um, and not really, really learning how to listen to what the family is trying to tell us uh, about the patient. So I think there has at times been this kind of disconnect and a, a lack of respect um, from uh, the viewpoint of the family physicians towards the family caregivers. I think that is changing. I think our younger physicians are being much better trained. And I think, um, you know, certainly as you practice family medicine for a while and you understand uh, family members, you develop a deep respect for what they're doing. The things you want to encourage is just um, for family caregivers is actually to uh, try to um, communicate with the family physician. And and, uh, I think this is becoming uh, easier as we have more um, sort of email communication. It's an easier way to get messages through um, if your family physician is willing to use this kind of form of communication. Um, Certainly we encourage, um, or I used to encourage, you know, families to, um, you know, send me... um, you know, things such as blood sugars or just, uh, you know, observations on changes in how their schizophrenic son was doing, that sort of thing. Um, the things that I think sometimes concern um, family caregivers is occasionally, um, and I, this is very much not the norm, but occasionally there's a concern about um, uh, elder abuse or neglect and the sense that it's difficult to, um, whether the family caregiver is actually really providing the role that we think they're providing. 
and occasionally, um, uh, uh, certainly in this day of um, concern about uh, um, prescription narcotic abuse, there's sometimes a concern about diversion of um, uh, drugs that are used for palliative care patients, uh, sometimes into uh, um, uh, an, uh, an addicted family member's uh, hands. Those are minor concerns, but there are things that are always in the back of our mind with certain families that we have concerns about. Right. Now, that takes me now back to your position as president of the Canadian Medical Association. Please, would you summarize for us the association's positions, you know, and their policies and so on, um, regarding family physicians and family caregiving and the relevant, shall we say, policies that determine the relationships in other words, what as an association do you say about all the things you've been talking about from the perspective of um, uh, family caregivers? Well, first of all, the CMA's uh, main work uh, over the last few years is what we call our healthcare transformation initiative, and, and um, one of one of the things that we're pushing strongly for under that initiative is to try to make the system, as I alluded to, more patient-centered and family-centered rather than provider-centered. So, and what that means is um, changing some of our attitudes, but also um, advocating for um, changing where our resources are um, allocated. So we we really need to have more resource allocation into um, uh, primary care and home-based care. Um, our system is very much set up around hospital care, and the Canada Health Act uh, um, only covers hospitals and physician services. It does not cover anything regarding home-based care and long-term care. And so... Um, um, you know, one of the things we're doing is um, um, advocating at the national level, federal level, we're advocating for a national strategy that's federally, um, um, that the federal government uh, uh, takes leadership on um, for a plan for home-based care and long-term care. One of the other things we've been talking about is, um, and actually have made presentations to the pre-budget uh, committee uh, um, on the Hill, uh, finance committee, is increasing the family caregiver tax credit. Uh, we There is a credit now, but it's a very small amount. It's a paltry amount, and this very much needs to be um, increased. Uh, we really need to um, recognize the fact that um, family caregivers are keeping their family members out of hospital. Uh, they're having to take time off work. They're the ones that are actually doing the work, and we need to in some way make it more manageable for them financially um, uh, for them to do that. So those are a couple of the areas we've been advocating in. I think the other thing, uh, Gordon, is... Um, is uh, the, uh, another part of the work we've been doing is very much involved in pushing for the entire country to have a very effective um, electronic uh, medical record system, uh, in particular through primary care. And I think with um, electronic medical records, we're, um, that the patient's going to be able to have access to it, their their record. Um, this is going to be a way that families and patients and healthcare providers can very well communicate with each other easily and see what's going on so that we can really um, uh, provide the best team-based care that works for what family caregivers need, and they'll be able to, um, you know, uh, add into the record what their observations are. That will be part of the record, and uh, we would be able to actually um, really take that and sort of um, be able to jump on c uh, concerns right away rather than the old uh, telephone um, um, chase back and forth. 
Yeah. Now, this is a very quick question of a very loaded kind, but would you agree with me if I, when I say that really family caregivers are subsidizing the healthcare system? Is that a fair comment? Oh, I don't think that's a loaded question at all, Gordon. I think that's 100% right. I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't find that controversial at all. I mean, some people may, but very much family caregivers are very much subsidizing the healthcare system and uh, a great um, burden to themselves, great financial burden, great emotional toll. And um, yeah, we have to find a way to make it work better, both financially and, and just there needs to be more supports coming into the home from trained professionals to give family caregivers a break. Absolutely. Now, talking of a break, it's time for us to take one for all the reasons previously stated. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley. My guest is Dr. Anna Reid. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We will be back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Anna Reed. Our topic is Empowered Family Caregivers Working with Family Physicians. Anna, one role for family caregivers working with family f- physicians is as helpers or as I prefer to call them perhaps assistance for the family physicians providing medical care for the family members. So I'd like please you to examine for us the role of family caregivers 
as assistants for family physicians, caring for the family caregivers' children with incurable medical and physical conditions who are living at home or mostly at home. What are the benefits of this role and how can possible concerns of family physicians be addressed? Well, you know, I think certainly if... um you know, family uh, caregivers are able to look after um, children with um, with disabilities and chronic conditions at home. It's, um, I mean, I think it's a hugely emotionally beneficial for both the um, the the, uh, the patient as well as the family caregiver. Um, but that's only true if there's um, you know proper supports uh, for the family outside of the family caregiver and I can't stress that enough that we really have got to get increased uh, family supports into the home uh, rather than uh, doing stuff through institutions um, I think the family caregivers are very much um, uh, physician assistants and uh, any other physician assistant uh, would be uh, actually paid for their work, but they're not paid for the work, but they're very much doing that. And, um, you know, right through from, um, you know, giving out the medications, uh, taking measurements of different things we need, um, and, um, uh, you know, doing a lot of the actual um sort of day-to-day care that often, you know, a nurse would be doing in some sort of institutional setting. So a a hugely important role. I mean, uh, you know, also if you have a family caregiver looking after a palliative care patient, I mean, the family um, caregiver is often the one giving the injectable morphine based on, you know, on a, a schedule, that sort of thing. They're doing the role of what normally a physician or a nurse would do. And, you know, that's very beneficial for the patient and for the family if they're able to be there and be able to keep their loved ones at home. Right. Now, let's. it's exactly the same question. Family caregivers as, as assistants for family physicians. But let's focus on the situation where there's an elderly family member living at home with the family caregivers. What do you see the benefits specifically of this role of the assistant, uh, family caregiver as the assistant, and what are the possible concerns of family physicians and how could they be addressed? Well, the the family um, caregiver, I think if you have, say, an elderly person, say, with dementia, and, you know, the choice is between trying to keep them at home with supports and with with the family caregiver versus institutionalizing them, there's a huge benefit to both the family caregiver and the the actual individual with the dementia. For the family caregiver, it's a, a an ability to be able to actually care for themselves for the person they really love, and they're used to having them in the home, and it's uh, something familiar to them. And um, in some ways, very difficult for them if their family member were to say be institutionalized, often at quite a distance from where they live, for them to actually to be able to get in there and. Um, actually see their their family member on a daily basis um, so there's that sense of continuity that uh, that very important sense of uh, having to uh, being able to continue the care not feeling guilty about having to institutionalize someone the, the for the actual uh, the actual patients you know with dementia uh, at the home the, uh, the the benefits are just so great I mean the minute you move someone, with a chronic illness and certainly a dementing illness out of their familiar environment. We know that their health outcomes are worse. They're 
their cognitive status goes down, their mobility changes. These are well-documented things. So it's a win-win to keep people in the house. However, the downside is is the extreme fatigue on the caregiver, and the we have very poor respite systems in place, uh, uh, both for respite, sort of say on a daily basis, or actually respite where someone would go for a couple of weeks out of the house to stay somewhere else and give the family caregiver a complete break. And and certainly many family caregivers, as I mentioned, for demented people, they are themselves elderly, often with major health problems, and so as a family family physician looking after both of them, you then become very concerned about the health of the actual caregiver, and uh, that can certainly suffer um, with the chronic stress. Um, so it's it's not all um, it's not all roses. There's certainly some difficult issues uh, and stresses on the caregiver, as we know. Now, it's exactly the same question about role of family caregivers as assistants for family family physicians, but this time. Um, the group that I want to focus on is family members whose mental health conditions have resulted in behaviors that brought the family caregivers as well as the family members into trouble with the justice system. So what are the benefits of the assistant role of the family caregiver and what about the concerns of family physicians in those very difficult situations? Anna? Oh, Gordon, this is a very difficult, um, very difficult circumstance for many family caregivers and, and for the, the patients who suffer from chronic debilitating mental health conditions. Um, Again, we know that uh, one of the main things in terms of, uh, say, if I refer to schizophrenia, one of the main things that actually prevents um, a relapse of the psychotic uh, illness and, and intensifying of the symptoms is if we actually reduce stress to the patient. So there's huge benefits for the patient, often if they can be kept at home in a, in a um, uh, setting that's familiar for them, as long as that setting is relatively stress-free, and it's very difficult for the, for many of these mental health patients to actually move around to different areas to other supported housing when they're actually can be uh, better managed at home. But for the family caregiver um, in these situations, the 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 burden of chronic mental illness uh, cannot be underestimated on the family members, and it really is a family illness uh, more than just a patient illness. I think more than any other medical condition, I, I really see it as a family illness. And um, I think family caregivers, there's a number of issues. One is um, um, there's, of course, the massive social stigma around mental health and so often, you know, inability of neighbors and uh, that sort of thing to understand that uh, the, the, their neighbor may be somewhat different than, than other people in the neighborhood and treat them differently and stigmatize them. The, the other thing is, um, you know, if the illness does um, escalate and the psychosis becomes worse, occasionally um, some psychotic illnesses do have um, uh, uh, violent and aggressive features associated with them. And, and I know sometimes family caregivers are actually put in very dangerous situations where there's been an escalation and they actually become afraid of, say, a young son who's twice their size. Uh, um, there's also, um, you know, often um, 
you know, having to call the police in and that sort of thing. And then there's a huge amount of guilt on the part of the family caregivers that they have to call the police in to get a situation under control and feeling that they should have been able to control it themselves. So the, the toll is immense. Following on that response, you have, I think, described what the kind of things I've been hearing too, of just the immense burden and the stresses and strains. But you've also raised the question of how widely and well understood is the situation for the family caregivers when, for example, they have a family member with schizophrenia resulting in these dangerous behaviors. And is there anything that we, that is physicians, family caregivers as a group, need to do to increase understanding of the challenges that are involved? What do you think? Well, you know, I think we're only just now starting to talk about mental illness, chronic mental illness in the way we should. And we're actually, you know, we're now recognizing it as a chronic disease. And many of our chronic disease management strategies around the country actually, you know, recognize chronic diseases, not just diabetes or heart disease. It actually is mental health. And we're... um, so, you know, one of the number one things I think for anyone with chronic mental illness is they very much need to have a case manager involved with their care, and that may be the family physician, but it's often a case manager through mental health who actually coordinates on a very regular basis with um you know, with um, mental health patients and the family caregivers, uh, you, you can't often expect a mental health patient to actually come into an office. This is one of these uh, situations where we have to take the care to the patient. So if the patient doesn't come for their injection from every two weeks, we have to get the injection to them. It's a part of the in the actual illness of mental health that we need to um, provide the care in a way that works for them within the context of their illness. So, um, you know, I think that we need to look at designing the system around the patient and family needs rather than around provider needs is the, the first thing. The other thing is I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's um, reassuring that the Mental Health Commission put out its report last year and it looks like there's going to be a big uh, push around the country uh, around support for mental health, whether we actually see on the provincial territorial level the actual financial supports coming in, I'm not sure. That remains to be seen. The other thing is the, you know, the Mental Health Association um, of Canada is doing a lot of educational work. And, you know, I think education, 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 just getting everything out in the media, talking to people about the stigma of mental illnesses. This is how we break down these barriers and improve services. I mean, you know, 50 years ago, we didn't talk about cancer and look, look at the fundraising we do for that now. Right. Now, we're going to go into the break, um, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about some of the things that need to be done to carry on with the progress that, that is being made. So let's take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Dr. Anna Reid. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Who are we? Can we really make the world a better place? 
How can the mantle of personal power be most effectively passed from generation to generation? There is no correct answer, but by tuning in to Birthright of Power with Reverends Don and Jane Lewis, the goal is that you will find some help in this journey. What does it mean to be a warrior with multiple meanings of that word? How do we stay strong in the face of changing times? Listen to Birthright of Power live every Monday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now you can discover your true identity through connecting healthy relationships. Make your contribution to the world that you live in. Tune into Love Yourself with host Dorothy Doctor, the self-love coach. Dorothy is a gifted listener as well as an empowerment expert. She can help you take those first steps toward moving forward in your life and the lives of others. Find your true, authentic self. Love Yourself with Dorothy Doctor is broadcast live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Anna Reed. Our topic is Empowered Family Caregivers Working with Family Physicians. So, Anna, I'd like you please to tell us what more is to be done to help family caregivers and family physicians to work more closely together? And so the first question of that is, what more would you like to do and would you like to see done to help family caregivers and family physicians to work more closely together? Well, uh, in terms of working more closely together, I think that uh, certainly this is something that we need to advocate for being um um, taught at the medical school level and the resident level. And um, I mentioned house calls before, but I think it's very important that when um, uh, residents are doing their family practice training that they have mentors that take them out on house calls to actually see what is going on actually in home situations and actually have a true understanding of where their patients are living and what the families are dealing with. And um, so I think that's a very good educational tool. And I, I think education of caregivers uh, sorry, of um, family physicians is very important. I think we need to also um, uh, educate caregivers to be more vocal and um, advocate for themselves more. I know this is very difficult when they're stressed for time, but um, people need to understand that uh, when they're in this situation, they are saving the system huge amounts of money, and they have a right to be vocal and speak up and say what they need. And uh, I think that it's very important the grassroots do this. I think we need to actually get in the politicians' faces and the health authorities' faces, and I think you know, we, this is a very important thing. We do uh, write letters to the editor, write letters to your, um, you know, to your uh, um, politicians, you know, meet with people from your health authority. Um, these are the things you need to do. 
Um, in terms of working better together, one of the things that um, um, I think would be very helpful as if in, in individual communities, perhaps uh, family physicians uh, took a leadership role in maybe um, uh, running some meetings with um, family caregivers in their community where they actually could get together and, and have a joint meeting and actually sit down and say, look, what are the problems we're having? How can we make the system work better given the resources and confines of our community? And that's something I think that can be done at various local levels. And, you know, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all thing. Um, but that's certainly things I think people can do. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, just politically, you know, the CMA and the provincial medical associations will continue to um, push to get our um, a comprehensive electronic medical record across the country going so that uh, we have this ability to share, share information on, on sort of what's going on with the caregivers. Politically, um, we will continue to advocate for this, the family caregiver tax credit and the federal vision and plan for uh, home-based care. Right. Now, next question, same lines. What would you more would you like to see family physicians do to help the family caregivers themselves? You know, you'd mentioned that the stresses and strains – what should be the focus of a family physician for a family caregiver in one of the kind of difficult situations you've been talking about? You know, one of the moves in family medicine over the last few years has been to actually having group appointments where you have group appointments for a group of diabetics to discuss diabetic care or you have a group appointments for, you know, menopausal advice or that sort of thing so you don't have to meet with each uh, patient individually. It's much more effective. What they found from those group group appointments is that actually they also become sort of a support group for um, each other. So one of the things that I think family physicians could do is actually hold group appointments for family caregivers, not necessarily the patients. The patients could come too. Um, but where they get a group of um, people with, uh, you know, say um, caregivers for chronic mental illness together in a room with the family physician or several family physicians and sit down and and talk as a group and figure out, look, how can we better help you in this situation? Really um, having the family physicians listen and then possibly coming up with some group uh, strategies. And then, you know, often this actually is a support group too for the caregivers and uh, it uh, is a very positive, empowering situation, I think. I'm going to ask you just another loaded question. Would you see those groups sort of getting together to make their voices heard, perhaps with the family doctors, family physicians help by the authorities, by the service, other service providers, or would that be too political? What do you think? I'm in a political role right now, and although I've never thought of myself as a political animal, I don't really think anything's too political. I mean, I think if you, you know, if you, if if something like one of these family uh, caregiver family practice uh, group support sessions um, wanted to go that way, then I think the next thing step was yes, they should uh, um, demand to have a meeting with their local health authorities as a group uh, with the physicians, and you know, physicians. Uh, 
are working for patients. Um, we we do want to provide the best care for patients. We're, we don't always do it the best way, but we're needing to learn more from patients and families. And so, you know, our job is to advocate for our patients and their family caregivers. Um, and so it, it's very powerful getting a coalition together, always politically. There you go. Now, very last question for you is what's your message for family caregivers caring for family members with medically incurable illnesses? Anna? Well, my message is you have my greatest respect. Um, uh, I just want to thank you for the huge amount of work you do for your family, the community, and, and also the healthcare system. I'd say keep it up. I'd say don't be afraid to stand up for yourself, to advocate. Um, don't be afraid to get together and form, um, you know, alliances and coalitions. And um, again, um, you deserve to get uh, tax credits and uh, be politically active in any way you can, whether that be just writing a letter. Anna, this is this is just a comment from me, but the name of this talk show is Family Caregivers Unite with an exclamation point. And as we all know, that's a sort of mark of activism. But I think I'm saying to you, and I'd like you to just say quickly, if you're uneasy about what I'm saying, is that family caregivers do need a voice. They do need to be more socially active, more politically active, because they have a case to make that's important for everybody. I mean, are you broadly sympathetic with that statement I've just made? Oh, extremely. More than more than broadly, I'm very sympathetic of that statement. And um, you know, when you you quoted the numbers at the beginning about the number of people who are caregiving around North America, and the numbers are astounding. And you know, imagine if that voice managed to get together. I mean, this show is great, and the organ. I looked at your website. The organization uh, looks um, like you're doing a lot of great work. And I just say, keep it up. And I'm very much in support of what you're doing. Thank you very much. That's great. Now, it is time. We're coming to the end now, unfortunately, um, because as uh, we've heard some very important things and there are many other things that we would like to hear. But first of all, thank you, Dr. Reed, for your very open sharing with us of your own knowledge, your own experience, your own insights, and also of the way in which the medical profession through the Canadian Medical Association um, is seeing things, seeing the future, and wanting to do things. So that's very encouraging and very, very promising at a time that's difficult um, in North America because of money, apart from anything else. Um, now, I want to also say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear from you about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. And in our next episode, we'll talk about wife and children as family caregivers. So please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet, and talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.